challenge the friction that we have in our hearts to that calling that calls us deeper still. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But it was uh, something I hadn't put together in that song. It's obviously not the part, of, well, for me, I shouldn't say obviously, but for me, that's not the part of the song that jumps out at me every time. And as we're preparing for what we're going to talk about this morning, it just seemed like, Lord, you really do keep calling us deeper. And yet the more you call us, this thing that we still walk around in this bag of bones called the flesh, says, ah, I've already given you enough, haven't I? Back off just a bit. He calls us deeper and deeper. Last month, we, um, we launched this thing uh, called a campaign. We had moving boxes everywhere. We were all wearing these t-shirts. And uh, by the way, if you see people in t-shirts, those people are not cooler than you. They think they are, but they're not. They look cool right now, but uh, they are our ministry leaders. So they're either heading up a, a ministry team here at Faith or they're leading a small group. Um, we have others that uh, I was late getting the memo out that, th- that today was T-shirt Sunday. So there's other people that should be wearing them that didn't get the memo and all that stuff. But anyway, like Pastor Bill. But anyway, um, so <laughs> it was on me. I did start off by saying it was my fault, right? That Pastor Bill doesn't have a T-shirt on this morning. Did I say that? <laughs> Anywho. Uh, so last month, we started talking about this concept of moving out. And uh, we had challenged the church, this church here at 250 KMD, that it is time for us to find new ways or to even go back to old ways of being the church outside the walls of the building. Because we as a church are being called at this time, we believe this from our leadership level down to our ministry team leaders and then so many people that we've talked to in between that have said, yeah, it's time for either me personally to be re-engaged with the mission that God calls for me or for the small group that I'm a part of or for my ministry team or things. It's just time to do this. And so we are responding to what we believe the Lord's laid on our hearts. We decided we were going to be a little corny with it. We were going to say that we're moving out. We got boxes and a moving truck and all those kinds of things to have fun with it. But the primary point is we wanted each and every one of us to understand as human beings as those created by somebody, created by the Father, we need various things in order to stay in line with His calling to us. That's just how we're made. God saves people, we said last month. And so if God is the one doing the saving, He knows who He's saving, and He's built within us various ways in responding to His call or relating to other people. And so if you're anything like me, you need something bigger than yourself to tie into so that you say, okay, I know I'm doing kind of the right thing or I'm staying in line with the mission, it's a little bit more motivating that way. Um, you know, we're, we're, at fa- we're on Father's Day and so those of you guys that feel convicted, I should be a better dad and hopefully we all feel that way. Um, but uh, when we feel like, okay, I should be a better dad, what should I do about it? Well, I'm going to get off by myself and just think harder about what I should do. The problem is when we get off by ourselves and start thinking of our own thoughts, we're kind of perpetuating the problem, Right? My best thinking has got me to the place that I'm at right now. Maybe I need somebody else's good thinking. Maybe I need some reminders from Scripture of what it means to be a father. And so I need to be around those that are practicing those things that I want to emulate. Or we're struggling with the same thing and we're going to encourage one another. And so motivation comes in in a form of teamwork that we sometimes kind of you know, uh, raise our, our nose to and say, I don't need that kind of, I'm fine on my own. But the reality is we were kind of created to know to need to know that other people are in the game with us. So therefore, the campaign moving to 750 was uh, something that we thought we would share with everybody instead of just a select few. 750 is just a number. It it represents something to us, and it's not just one we we said rhymes well with something or anything. It means something to us. 750 is a a total attendance, an average attendance that we want to see the church reach, but but we're not really hung up on the number. To, To us, 750 represented enough of a stretch that the Lord had to be doing the work that we couldn't come up with some cute, cheap little gimmicks that would just get people interested and want to go see what are they doing, and then that fizzle out because that's a little bit more like swelling than it is growing. So we didn't want to just do the tricky, you know, cutesy things, but to to focus on a number that meant, okay, we are all about discipling people, bringing them into the fold, and then helping them find community and strength and building up here at faith. And so that just seemed like a a target for us 
that would help us focus on that kind of number. And we said we wanted to give ourselves 12 months to accomplish this, this campaign, this focus, and, and maybe these t-shirts don't last beyond 12 months. We haven't tested that out yet, so we'll see. But uh, we want to do this for the next year so that we can, as people, say, I think I could give my, my next year to dialing it in a little bit deeper. I think I can, I can not resist the Lord so much when he calls me deeper still as the song we just sang. And so after that year is up, then we say, okay, Lord, you know, what would you have for us next? What do we want to do? And it may not look anything like t-shirts and, and gimmicks and all those kinds of things. It may be a new phase based on where we're at. But we want to be open to the Lord so that he keeps leading us and bringing us along these lines. And so we decided we were going to roll this out in three stages. We're going to build our foundation on prayer. So we want to make sure that we are following the Lord's leading and not some cute ideas or some thinking that we think is the idea of the moment or something. But Lord, how in this are you? And how do we follow you? Where would you have us go? So for the last month, we've launched prayer initiatives that so many of you have participated in. And if you saw the handout that we gave a couple weeks ago, it kind of gave the stats of who of you, how many of you responded to the various things that we threw out there. And we had well over 200 respondents say, okay, I'm going to play a part in this prayer aspect of the Moving to 750 campaign. Now, that's a great number, don't get me wrong. But I want to tell you, because you come to one service and stuff, and so if you just see what, what I see right now, you might say, wow, it's like 75%. That, there's a whole other service that looks just like this. So I, I, I want to start off right off the bat in a very uncomfortable, mean manner. It says, half of you didn't turn in a card. But we'll talk about that. So... To about 250 people said, I'm going to play a role, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to pay attention to the focal point, or I'm going to walk 901, and I'm going to highlight the map. I'm going to pray for my neighborhood or pray for a neighborhood in Waterville or Winslow. Um, many of you are showing up faithfully on Thursday mornings with Pastor Ben to pray and to meet in our AM hub. And, and so these things are just, they're taking off, they're happening. Some of you have been praying for... Someone on your radar screen, you say, I have a, a, a friend or a coworker or a family member or a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, and I want to put them on my list so that I can ask the Lord, Lord, if there's any chance that I can have an inroad to this person's life, I want to do that. And a hundred some odd of you signed up and said, I can put that one person on my radar screen. And many of you have shared those names with us, and we've been praying for those people as well to try to assist you, if you will, in that effort. And so prayer has been a very foundational piece of all of this, but one that if we're not careful, it kind of says, well, we spent a month praying. That was fun. Now let's do the other cool stuff and let's do all that. We launched these things in an effort to keep them going for the next 12 months if they fit, if they work, as long as the Lord is still in them. And so prayer is just the foundation that launches that, that's going to bleed through the entire program. We don't ever want to walk away from that aspect of prayer. But today we're talking about something a little bit different. We, we, we launched our, our focus out of James 2.26. It simply says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And then subsequent to that message on May 21st, we were walked through the um, theological underpinnings, if you will, of why uh, those works are a demonstration of our faith. They aren't... They aren't the thing to earn our faith, but to actually show, I have a living faith within, within me. Well, how am I supposed to know that? Because of the things I do. You know, and, and we can't get too hung up on that because we experience it in our own marriages and stuff. If we say, um, you know, I love you all the time and do everything opposite to prove that you do, we start to doubt that those words are real, don't we? And so the same as it is in the, in the church, and I think that's why the Lord, one of the aspects of the Lord using marriage as an image of his love to the church is that I say I love you and I prove it by how quickly I laid my life down, how willing I am to lay it all on the line to win you back to me. And so in Jesus' uh, terminology and his understanding of things and his uh, approach to things, his statement of love was always backed up with his action. And so in a way, James is basically underscoring the same concept. You say that you have this faith, and so much of what we hear now today is people say, well, I have a faith, but it's very personal. I, I kind of keep it you know, 
un, under the radar screen. It's, it's so personal. It's so cl- it means so much to me. I, I just don't want to talk about it much. And, and as far as the scripture is concerned, that's a severe inconsistency. That you and I say we have faith living in our hearts. It will pour out. It will show. And so for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also our faith without works is dead. And so that's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning is what are the works that we can do in order to prove that the faith that lives within us is real. Our service is going to cost us something. This isn't the natural approach uh, to service. And when I say natural, let's talk about just the fact that when you and I are born, I, I keep emphasizing this point, but we have to understand the closeness of, of, of the uh, sin that lives within us that we're born in. When you and I are born, we just have a, a pattern. We have a set, uh, set of needs and wants and demands that we practice right from day one. Those of you that, that have raised babies, you know you don't have to teach them to completely freak out when they don't get what they want that it's it's like you didn't hear me the first time so i'm going to get louder and i'm going to you know you're still not getting it i said i need it now you don't have to teach that why because we are we are born with such a bent towards ourselves that that which naturally comes out is the thing that's going to say this is what i want in life and i want it from you it's always somebody else's responsibility our service, though, is going to cost us something. This is the second phase of our campaign. We, we started off with the, with the piece of, of prayer. We're moving in to serve. We're going to talk now this month about the various ways that we can team up together, that we can serve within this church. But before we get into the specifics of what faith as a church is calling you to do, I want to talk a little bit broader about what faith that lives within you is calling you to do. Our natural approach to service is like what we said at the outset with the song. As you call me deeper still, my natural response is, I'm not sure I can squeeze this in. Lord, I know what you're asking for me, but I'm not sure I actually have room in all of my busy uh, uh, schedule or in the things that matter to me or even the the chaos of my life that I didn't ask for uh, myself, but it's just there. I can't carve out more time for you, Lord. And so we have a natural response to the request for service or for the command or, or the demand, I should say, more, more strongly from James, that if you have that faith living within you, it leads you to carry it out. Now, what we're going to do is look at Romans 12, verse 1 here together. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to show this short little verse up on the screen. But before we get into Romans 12... There were 11 chapters that happened before Romans 12. You see how I did that math? I didn't have to go to seminary for that, PB. What a seminary education will teach you, though, is the finer details of the first 11 chapters because Romans is considered one of the richest books in the Bible for helping us understand this thing that we were talking about already, which is the depth of our sin within ourselves and the stain that is so deep in the heart of man that only one rescuer could free us from that stain, could free us from that burden. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Romans, he spends 10 chapters spelling out brilliantly, and and I mean brilliantly, about um, the depth of our sin and the the need for a Savior and how we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And the only way that we're going to be freed from that is by His intervention in our life and His grace. And he says all of that coming up to chapter 12... In verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's a lot of great terms in this verse that would be very easy for us to spend a long time camping on. And I am going to do kind of a quick drive-by, if you will. Nah, drive-by is a bad connotation. Flyover, that's the more... I'm straight out of Auburn, so I don't even know what a drive-by is. So, <laughs> But as we look at this verse, there's a lot of things that we can kind of pick on and, 
and, and spend a lot of time in, but we're not going to be able to. But there are some very key terms that will help us to understand. He just simply says, by the mercies of God. So again, spelling out by the last 11 chapters, God has shown us nothing but mercy. A mercy he was not obligated to show us except for the fact that his very nature was to love. And so when we rebelled and we went against him, he, uh, because of who he is in his nature, said, I will send a rescuer and I will, I will redeem those people back to myself if they humble themselves. And so simply by his mercies, uh, God has given us the ability to, as he says, present our bodies a living and holy Sacrifice. I, I, I love this word present because it, it requires action. I want you to think about how you typically get drawn into things or how you typically get involved in an activity or something that's kind of doing good for somebody else. Now, if you were able to just kind of scan your life or scan your last 10 years and say, I wonder how I typically get into that environment, uh, do you usually engage because you've intentionally gone that way and said, I want to do this or I want to do this? Or are you one of those nice people that every time you're walking by, someone pulls on your shirt sleeve and says, could I borrow you for a second? And you say, sure. Now, there's a lot of those people around. There's a lot of those people that are on the move already or they're going by, but when they get interrupted and they get pulled on their sleeve, they're not going to say, oh, you know, no, I'm, I don't care about your cause. Like, can't even stand you. Why would you even ask me? There's, there's very few people that have that attitude. Have you noticed? There are some, and we know who those people are because they stand out so clearly. For the most part, people, they're not going to tell you what they're feeling on the inside. And they're going to say, sure. And under their breath, they're like, I've got zero time for this, and I've got my own problems and stuff, but sure, I'll help you out. It's very common for us to get pulled on the sleeve on the way by. Now, here's my caution in this, is this word present is more of an action. It is uh, by intention. And I, I picture, because I'm way too loaded up with these types of movies and stuff in my head, I apologize, but I picture, it's almost like, I guess, like a medieval setting, you know, in this big high, you know, stone, I don't know, cathedral or some kind of hall or something like that. And someone is carrying in a sacrifice and, and laying it down in an altar. I mean, that's not... That image and that aspect is not something you do unintentionally. You've gone out and you've found your sacrifice. You've gone and you've presented it to the king or to the whatever to appease wrath or whatever you're doing. But you're walking in and you're saying, I give this to you and I lay it down before you, O great king. It's by intention. It's, I, I, didn't, I didn't walk by with this thing going, what am I going to do with this goat? Someone pulls me on the sleeve and says, hey, do you want to sacrifice this? We've got a king in here that wants to be worshipped. Yeah, Perfect. It's just what I was looking for is a place to drop this thing. This, this is, that is a very passive, that is a very passive attitude towards service. So when Paul says, I want you to present, you think about the effort and the planning and, if you will, the strategy that goes into when I walk through that hall and I lay this down at the altar is because I made the plan to do so. This may seem like a very fine point, but I'm always thinking as I'm wrestling with Scripture or thinking about how to present it, I'm always thinking about American culture. I'm always thinking, where do we really live, and how is this going to really sound if I'm pretty steeped in my culture, if I'm, if I'm trapped, if you will, in thinking uh, like those around me? And, and so often I think that we are nice... We are willing to be interrupted sometimes because the pastor needs us or my small group leader needs us or Janet Johnson in kids' ministries who has many openings needs us or something like that. But, but the idea is if they ask me, yeah, whatever happened to, Lord, you have given me this life, you have given me these abilities, you have given me this time, you have given me whatever, I'm going to, way before I walk into your altar, I'm going to set up a sequence of events which mean I am intentionally laying something down for you and I'm presenting it to you. And so that's why I find Paul's word of present your bodies something very strategic or by design knowing because when you do that you know what the consequences are. If you're just walking by and someone from the temple says, hey, we need a sheep or we need a goat, and you're one of those nice people and you're like, I haven't really figured out if I can spare that this year. I don't know if I can go to my livestock and do this, but they're asking me. And so, and then what that turns into is this kind of reluctant one foot dragging sort of, uh, I don't want to be one of those people that says no, or I don't want everyone in the kingdom to think I'm not one of these people that sacrifices. So uh, here... 
And then I'll worry about the consequences later. I'm not sure how I'm going to recover from that. It seems as though right out of the gate that Paul is saying when we go and present, or that is, you know, we're going to use this analogy of the livestock thing. I have said, look, I don't even know if I can afford this. I don't even know, but I know the Lord requires it. So I'm going to take one of these and I'm going to go and lay it on the altar. Now, of course, I'm, I know I shouldn't have to spell this out, but we are talking a metaphor. We don't have to do this anymore. But as I lay this down, it's because I've counted the cost. And even if it's going to hurt, even if it's going to pinch, even if it's going to hurt my, my income or whatever the case may be, I knew who I was doing it for. And I offered before I was even asked by somebody managing the temple gates or something like that. I just want to, you know, maybe skip ahead in the message a little bit and say when you offer your service like that, it is noticeable and you don't keep running this risk of burnout. You don't keep running this, 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 um, this balancing act of, well, I've got so many other affections and needs outside of this, but I, I said I was going to do this one thing, so I guess I've got to keep doing it. That is typically what those of us that get pulled on the sleeve run into. We said yes to something that sounded either exciting or fun in the moment or because we saw that the need was there or, or we looked in the mirror and said, you're not going to be one of those people that says no to things or whatever the case may be. And so you said, okay, sure. And the whole time you're second guessing, do I belong here? Can I really do this? What is it? Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice means that we have started with counting the costs that we have started with that commitment saying whatever it costs, whatever I'm going to feel like in a year from now, whatever the case may be, I'm giving this to the Lord and it all belongs to Him. You see the difference? And it, I don't think it's, it's, it's clearly not a mistake to use uh, the image here of laying our bodies down. He does qualify it by being a living sacrifice, thankfully. I'm glad that's in there. But our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. What have we said over and over again? If you don't have your health, you don't have anything, right? Something very personal about how, our, how we feel about our own bodies, isn't it? We feel that ache, we feel that pain, and all of a sudden it can start to cloud our judgment on everything else on the outside. Paul is saying that you are, going to, that you are to intentionally present that which is closest to you and lay it down before the Lord as a living sacrifice. He uses very similar language to this earlier on in the book in chapter 6. And chapter 6 is really a, a very rich chapter when it talks about uh, the old man and the sin that lives within us and stuff. And so if you haven't read through Romans, you haven't done a study in Romans, it's a little bit up there if you're new to this. If you're reading your Bible for the first time, you'll want to plan extra time. You'll reread phrases and all that kind of stuff. you get a good commentary maybe to help you out with it. But it is a very rich um, read and a great Bible study. And he says, I'm just going to read these. We won't put these up on the wall here. In just a couple of verses in chapter 6. In verse 13, he says, Don't go on presenting the members of your body. That is just, you know, again, your flesh. Don't go on presenting. There's that word. I want you to picture that laying it down on an altar, that very physical act, that very intentional act. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So, so instead of that king that's over there that we carried our goat into or whatever it's going to be and we flop it down on there and everything, if you picture your own thing, your own desire, your own pleasure, the, the, your own thing that keeps weighing you down, basically the thing that you can't seem to walk away from very easily, that you know the Lord's speaking to you like, let that go, give it to me, Let's, you know, I, I died for that too. Picture that being on the throne and as you walk in, you're taking your, your offering and you're saying, I lay this down before you and it's all yours to do whatever you want with it. Now the scary part of that image is what we're laying down is our own bodies. And Paul is saying, no longer giving yourself over to that king that has been in your life, which is you know, the capital S sin in your life, and then walking in and saying, I have thought about it. I know what I'm giving up. I know that it could cost me everything and everything, but I just want you to know, dear sin of mine, you can have it all. Do you see the contrast here? Couldn't be any starker. Paul is saying no longer acting like that as, as, as presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
couple verses later, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. The, the head scratcher is, is that we would really walk through that conversation that I just had. Sin, I know that you're trying to cost me everything. I know you're trying to ruin everything around me, but I just love you. And I just want to prove it to you. I want to show you by going and getting that which matters to me most, and I want to lay it down before you and sacrifice it all. We actually have, in microsecond ways, we have those conversations as sin reigns on the throne of our hearts. And we continue to lay it down before him. He says, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, as soon as you drop that on the altar and your hands are extended, you hear the and all of a sudden you're shackled and cuffs us. Thank you very sin says, thank you very much. I'll keep you. I'll hold you right there for a while. And he says, and now you've been presented as uh, uh, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So now, instead, basically, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And sanctification is a, is a big word, but it really just means uh, what, what you are positionally are in the Lord and that it grows and moves on so that you get basically progressively cleaner and more godly as your life goes on. Because once you become a slave to righteousness, that is the end result. That is the journey that the Lord takes you on. So in Romans 12.1, Paul says that this is a living sacrifice that is to be holy. Let me ask you a question. As we're talking along these terms and we're talking about slavery or we're talking about surrendering to uh, the sin in our life and how it takes us down that road and we're talking about the inconvenience of, of service so often and things. Uh, if I told you that we have, to present, we, have to, we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we have to go knowing what we're getting into basically and knowing what the consequences and the cost and still say, but Lord, you can still have it all. Let me ask you, how American does that sound to you? Now, you know, it's not really a trick question. It's just if, if you think about our culture and you think how we approach the things that need to be done in this world, let's not even say just in this church, but the, but the things that the Lord wants his people to be about, how many of us say, no matter the cost, Lord, if I know you're speaking to me and you say lay it down, that's where I'm at, versus, Lord, why don't you just tease it to me in pieces why don't we work something out that gradually lets me go of the schedule that I have to open up to the one that you have for me or the fears that I have about surrendering to you saying yes or you know, that I need to say yes to this and that sort of... Can you just ease me into this or make up a stronger case for me? You know, I want to see pie charts and I want to see return on investments. I want to see whether or not I'm you know, going to make something out of this. Is, is my family going to be safe? Are my kids going to turn out all right? All of those things, the very American part of us says, you make the case that this is going to be okay for me and I'll start kind of letting the line out a little bit more for you, Lord. And I'll give myself more and more over to you. We have to at least acknowledge that what God is calling us to, what he's spelling out for us in this tiny little verse, is going to cause that friction in our flesh. And our flesh is going to be like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Do not walk into that altar room. Do not lay that animal on. Do not do that. He's going to take you down a road. You, you can't guarantee your safety. Can't guarantee your happiness. Can't guarantee all those things. It's very normal for us to just kind of take a step back and say, I don't really know if I can commit to that. But he's calling us to something that is holy, which, which basically just essentially means completely set apart. All right, Lord, if I, were to, if I were to do this, I'm doing this because I know you're, like I belong to you and you're going to do what you want to do in this world and I just want you to be using me in the process. So if I've got to change things in my life, if I've got to change some of the influences, if I've got to change some of the things I do or don't do or anything like that, Lord, that's, that's, I know I'm getting into that when I lay this down on the altar. When I lay me down, that's what I'm doing. Instead of laying just, I'm going to just stick my foot up there and see if you're happy with that. If I'm laying all of me down, I cannot hang on to me. That's why this is a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. 
That's why this is spiritual activity. That, that it, it continues to say in, in, uh, in the verse, he says, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is true spirituality. Do not let the gurus and all the other sort of things make you continue to equate spirituality with something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. The things that Romans 12.1 is calling us to should make our knees knock just a little bit, should make our heads scratch just a little bit, going, okay, okay, I'm going in. That doesn't feel like something I would learn in yoga. Spirituality, as far as the world's concerned, is the thing that you just kind of feel in the groove, and it's like, oh, I'm just so connected. I heard that leaf blowing, and it was like three miles away, and it was just like, oh, that's beautiful. You know? Every time I hear the word spirituality, outside of evangelical circles, it seems like it's just this thing of like, you're so spiritual, and it's just this vibe. Same thing that getting high could give you, I guess. I don't know. And so how did we as a church start to equate spirituality with a feeling? You know, we're not, far off, we're not too far down the road from being able to expect that when the Spirit of God is with us, we feel it. That's a dangerous place to be in. Instead, our spiritual act of worship is sacrifice, is obedience. That is what worship is, not what we sing only. That's why we continue uh, to talk on the worship team. It's like when we're leading these songs, let's think about what we're singing. Let's not just get totally into the beat or the melody or something. But as we're singing, saying, congregation, sing with us as we're singing this, we're always looking into our own lives going, Am I obeying this too? If I'm going to be a worship leader, am I leading you in the same worship that I believe that God is calling us to? Now, that is what I would consider a general application of what the Holy Spirit calls us to with laying our lives down. That, that exercising what James 2.26 says, that if we are going to claim we have faith and it is something that will be present and visible for others to notice, others to see, others to benefit from, or even something that others will have to do battle with because it's so obedient. And so now what we're going to talk about is going back to this idea of moving to 750, but I want to make very clear that this whole thing wasn't a setup for saying, so what we say we have needs for, you better do it. Because there's a very easy way to start saying, okay, well, in, in church leadership and stuff, that if God's calling us all to get busy, then my idea that I need you for is the thing you better obey or else you're being completely disobedient to God. We're not going that way at all. But we are going to stand on the fact that we believe that the Lord speaks and moves through the local church. That these aren't just broad principles that Christians can apply and say, I don't really like what faith's doing, but I like their music. Or I don't really like what they're, you know, I'm not really totally into their need because i got my own thing going on and stuff. I really believe from what you see in the tone of Scripture and how Paul's moving through the local church and establishing the authority in the local body and stuff is that as your church has need, that is the most obvious and primary place for you to exercise your gift and to minister to the local body that he's called you to. And, and I'll, this is speculation, and I wish I had the thing up on the screen and stuff to say this. I even believe, because of Paul, the Apostle Paul's humility, that if he walked in through these doors today, the first thing he might do is go up to Pastor Bill and say, what can I do to minister to this body today? What would you have me do? He wouldn't walk in saying, do you know who I am? I'm the great Apostle Paul. Why don't you, know, why don't you step aside and let me preach? Because he spent so long building into each local assembly that authority that he put his stamp of approval on it as well as he was led by the Holy Spirit. So I say all that to say we have some need. We have some opportunity. We roll these things out because we, we believe that we're not going to be so bold as to say, Lord, help us to, to, to increase in our size, not just so that we can be a church of 750 because it represents that we're growing, but bring the people in, Lord, and if we see those people, then we'll get busy and we'll do more. We don't ever want to put the cart before the horse. Instead, what we want to say is, Lord, we've been praying about this growth. We're going to start locking arms together and serve to an even greater capacity that we are to show you that we believe he who is faithful with little will be blessed with much. And so if it be your will, Lord, that others start coming, that that is the future of faith, we'll be ready for it. I also want to qualify the fact that we have a lot of service going on here at Faith. 
I, and I think sometimes uncharacteristically the percentage is, is, is close to about 50% again of those that just come and attend the church. And I'm mostly referring to our teens and adults. Um, and, and so this is not a cry for no one's doing anything. What's wrong with you people? That's not it at all. Uh, Janet will tell you, uh, uh, Pastor Gary will tell you, Pastor Ben, um, Randy and Linda Haskell, who direct our first impressions teams and stuff like that, will tell you we've got lots of people serving. But there's always room for more, and it's not just because we need the help, but it's because it's how you exercise your gift, it's how you lock arms with somebody else, and it's how you get to know other people in the church. So let's try to get practical and very specific with the few minutes that we have left. I'm going to need somebody to snag um, Cameron and Colby for me, if you would. All right. Um, I just want to ask a simple question. Where does good service come from? Um, I, I have an answer to my own question, so please don't answer that. You'll just be interrupting me. <laughs> One of those rhetorical questions. Um, all right, so the question is, where does good service come from? At Faith, one of our plumb lines is if we can't do something to the best of our abilities, we don't get started with it. Um, why go into something thinking, yes, eh, it's probably going to eat our lunch, but you know what? Churches are supposed to do it, shucks and by golly, so let's do it. Uh, we go into things thinking, how can we do it to the best of our ability? We don't think we're going to do it better than everybody else. We don't think we're going to be perfect at it. But how do we do it to the best of the ability that the Lord's given us? And so because of that, we're not just talking, hey, let's get busy and let's get excited. And everyone, have your own ideas and let's free for all and everything. No, how, does, how do we develop good service? And the first thing I'm going to say is that we develop good service by the proper motivation and you're going to find the proper motivation you ready for this term if you were here last week you'll appreciate this you find the proper motivation in the ordo frutus huh <laughs> pastor bill last week was walking us through uh, galatians 5:22 and 23 and um, was giving a play on words for the ordo salutis the order of salvation and walking us through the the fruit of the spirit as the as the passage calls it and, and talked about this is the order of fruit. And so again, let's just read this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If you could pick the perfect team member to be involved in your church, either as an usher or a greeter or a small group leader or someone in kids' ministries or, or any of those kinds of things, someone on the worship team or something, if you could pick out probably half to 75% of the qualities off that list, wouldn't you be psyched? You'd be like, well, this person's a gem. This person's amazing. The reality is, is that our best service, our best atmosphere in a church is going to be born out of the fruit of the Spirit. That you're, you're spelling out the ideal uh, believer, if you will, and that is the person that everybody wants to serve with. They don't make it about them. They're trying to extend peace. They're not fighting for their own agendas. They're going to be faithful and committed. They show up on time. They show up early. All those kinds of things. You can pull this right from that. And so I believe that good service comes from the right motivation. And the right motivation comes because we all have motivations. It's not a matter of are you motivated or not. It's what are you motivated by. So if you're motivated by the fruit of the Spirit, then service kind of takes care of itself. Teams are full and people are happy and, and all these things. We're not perfect, but we're certainly doing a much better job than if we showed up for us that day. So when the heart is right, the actions are pure. I'm going to embarrass a couple of guys here. I'm going to ask Cameron and Colby to come down up front. Uh, they have no idea why they're coming. Guys, come on. They're so boisterous and outgoing. No, these guys are dying a thousand deaths right now. All right, I'm not going to overplay who they belong to because I swear that is not why they're up here today. Um, but uh, we had an idea a month ago. You guys come right up here. Everybody see your beautiful faces. <laughs> We had, a, we had an idea last month when we were talking about we're going to do the moving thing and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I, I made the mistake of letting Pastor Ben have fun with it because you know how he gets, you know. But anyway, he had his own idea and was doing his own thing. And I, uh, when I got in Sunday morning, I realized, okay, this may not be, it may not fit with what we're trying to do and stuff. But it was a fun idea. These two guys were going to help out. And... Um, 
And so when I, when I went to Pastor Ben and kind of delivered the bad news, like, sorry, I just don't think it's going to work. He's like, got it, no problem. And, and uh, he delivered the message to these two guys that were going to help him out. It was a skit kind of thing that was going to happen either during his announcements and stuff. So I, I'm going to say all this to say the reaction to the being told we don't need you is what I want to zero in on here because um, both these guys do serve on weekends. If we're here on Saturdays, we see their mom, Janet, coming in, and she's like, I need these tables, move these chairs, all this. These guys are all over it. Um, but they have lives too, and they're involved in sports and different things. And what I didn't realize when I said to Ben, we don't need these guys, is that Cameron had a soccer game. And I'm going to mess up some of the details, but I'm going to try to make it sound even more impressive, okay? Um, um, had a soccer game that he basically, um, I think, completely blew off the minute that Pastor Ben asked him to help him on a Sunday morning. Because usually, they usually try to make an arrangement where they can be in church and then be in soccer and all that kind of stuff. They're not sacrificing one for the other. But, but even Miss Janet said, Honey, are you sure you want to do this? And, and the reaction was, my church needs me. That's what I want to do. And so, again, we're talking countercultural reactions, right, to the Lord calling us deeper. Nothing competes with soccer. <laughs> the Lord can't even move soccer coaches and stuff, right? And so uh, I think these guys have demonstrated a heart of just service, and the reaction to that was so impressive because it was without a thought uh, to, you know, the team can do without me because the Lord needs me this Sunday and then so imagine how I felt when I found out I canceled it and it was too late for him to have brought his uniform and all these things and I think you missed the game entirely and they lost and the whole season was flushed right something like that so (laughs) I hope that's not true I hope you're just kind of joking with that but anyway I wanted you guys to have this something to share appreciate all your service and all the work you guys do so thank you What is your motivation? Is it the fruit of the Spirit, or is it what I can get out of it? Those things are pretty easy to weed out, by the way, too, if you're joining a team or you're participating in things. Quickly now, the other couple of things that will provide us with good service is ownership. This is our church. This isn't one of those environments where if you're caught in that cycle of showing up saying, I wonder what those guys are going to be doing this morning. I wonder what those pastors are going to say. I wonder what that worship team is going to play. And it's all about the presentation in the front. Then we've got things backwards. This is our church. Yes, the Lord has ordained leadership and he's given us time and gifts and things to help structure and lead. And there's some authority there and stuff. But the reality is this is our church. And you might say, well, I'm not going to be on the hook with that stupid moving idea. I get you there. That's fine. But the idea is if this is your church, it is a what are we going to do about making sure we stay relevant, we stay alive, we stay flourishing. It's ownership. That will provide good service. If you care about the things going on either in your ministry team or your small group as much as your leader, that's where things start to develop and change. And then lastly, I think unity uh, breeds uh, excellent service. Success for the whole group is the target. You know, I keep mentioning worship team because that's one of the teams I serve on and things, and that is so evident when you have someone join the team that's in it for their spotlight or their skills and abilities and things. I, I, can, I can tell you that the people that are on this stage, you know, especially it's pretty impressive when you see the age of them and stuff, are there because their attitudes are better than even their musicianship. And so those kinds of things matter to us because things can get out of control really quick and we have all of these weird uh, imbalances and stuff. And so good service comes from unity. How's the, whole th- how's the whole thing succeeding? We have a phrase on our worship team. We say, what serves the song, not what serves my ability. So here's what we're looking for. You have a card in front of you that I welcome you to take out and peruse as we kind of wrap up our time together. I'll try to walk through these specifically. We have lots of people serving in lots of ways here at Faith. Some of you are serving in ways that are off our radar screen because you're out in the community and you're doing different things. Everything I'm about to say is not to disparage or to undermine any of those things. God's people are God's people wherever they go. And so I want to applaud you for that and just let you know, look, that's great that you're doing that. But what we're doing a specific call for are the needs in-house at Faith to strengthen what we have here under our own roof, to be ready to receive that which the Lord would bring our way. So we have a goal of adding 75 new people to our service teams. 
I'm underscoring the word new. I don't mean you've only been here for a few weeks. I mean you are currently not on anybody's roster in a service capacity. Now, again, I'm not picking on you might say, well, I go to a small group and that's really hard for me to commit to and I've got a busy work schedule and I do all I can to make it. That's amazing. That's great. We're not saying you're less of a Christian because you're also not ushering. But the point that I would make is that we have the things that we do to build ourselves up or that are outreach and that sort of thing, but we also need things to happen on a Sunday morning or on a Thursday night or something that that helps sort of the mechanics of the church be successful. In order for that to happen, we need people greeting at the door. We need people teaching our children. We need people hosting or leading a small group, those kinds of things, providing a security presence, the things that you see on here. And so we would like to see, out of our church of roughly 500 or so adults, we would like to see another 75 people who are not currently already on one of those rosters say, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to join, I'm going to do something. So if, if you're hearing me clearly, what I'm talking about is, um, I'll, I'll teasingly use, you know, we can't do the whole retread thing where we're like, all right, I'm already doing five things and I'll add a six because Pastor Brent said we need it. It's not what we're going for. What we're going for is let all the people that are busy and on teaching schedules and ushering rosters and all those things, they're, you're, you're free this Sunday. You don't have to fill one of these out. But if you say, you know what, it has been a while, or I don't know how to enter into the ministry here at Faith, this is what we're looking for. And over the course of the year, we want to add 75 folks to our ministry teams. And these are the teams that we're talking about. Our first impressions encompasses our ushers and greeters. Um, It will also uh, eventually um, encompass our hub space, which is what's going to be there in the middle. And so we're going to need people to prepare refreshments and things and make sure that place is ready to go. That will be coming later this summer. We always and also need um, help in our faith kids area. And we'll be talking about that as the year goes on, the various ways that you can participate in that. And um, we, we just believe because we try to do things to the best of our ability. These aren't the things that we're saying, okay, who wants to sign up for the drudgery of doing something like X, Y, and Z? that we try to do things in such a way that it is a thing to join and uh, something to, to benefit from as well. And that's certainly what happens in Faith Kids. I was peeking in on their music last week, and it was just so cool. It's, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, security is, uh, is also a very important um, presence, um, bringing sort of that, that peaceful uh, guard, if you will, to our services on Sunday in this day and age. And so there's a need for those things. Um, our connect groups are our small group communities, and we're looking for two types of people for our connect groups. We're looking for people that would lead a group or people that would open up their home and say, I don't think I'm really the leader of the group, but we can have people over at our house and we can have it in, in my town and that kind of thing. So we need that for our connect groups. We have a once-a-month project-based uh, service team that mostly right now encompasses our men and they'll look after the needs of like uh, a widow or some special circumstances that can't take care of some of the needs of their home and things. And and a dedicated team of three or four or five guys will go once a month on a Saturday morning and just tackle some projects or they'll chip away at a bigger project or something along those lines. And so it's one Saturday a month, you're there, you're around other men, and then you've got the other three to four Saturdays that month to do your other stuff. Um, our lit ministry is, is uh, living in truth for our teens. Vine is for our young adults to 25 years old. And um, uh, so you know what a lot of those atmospheres are like and things. And so they have student, uh, they have um, uh, mentors and leaders and, and things along those lines. And then, of course, our worship and media teams, music. But there's also a very technical side of what we do. Um, and so all of these things have schedules and rosters that as you add some people to them, the schedules get a little easier or it spreads them out a little bit and everything. We don't try to have a lot of ministries where that one person has to be there every Sunday doing that one thing. You'll see as you come in that our ushers and greeters, you'll see different faces every week, but they'll be back again next month on that same Sunday or something like that. That's what we try to do. I also want to qualify that just because it's on this list doesn't mean that they're all of equal need. If you said to me right now, I want to be an usher or a greeter, I'm sure we could probably find a spot for you pretty quick. But if you said, I want to volunteer with teens and stuff, Pastor Gary might say, I've just built up new leaders. I'm going to need some time to determine how much need I have down the road. 
But if you're interested in that, at least it gives us something to pray towards and to have a conversation with you about and see where that might fit in. Also, I want to mention to you that some of these areas have certain minimum requirements. Our teaching, either in our small groups or for our kids, means that we want to get to know you for a while. We don't want to just assume, hey, warm body, let's put them in with the kids. You know, we want to do background checks. We want to know what you're about and how you're gelling personality-wise with the rest of the church and all those kinds of things. So there are some minimum qualifications, if you will, or requirements on certain aspects of these things. If you've never played a guitar before in your life, then you probably aren't going to be on the worship team anytime soon, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's just some of those realistic, we're going to handle it realistically, but at the same time, we want to know what you want to do and how you want to get involved so that we can move us in a direction. So the way that you do that is uh, you, you fill out this card just like we did last month. You fill out this card and you give us one or two picks of the teams that you would want to be considered for. And then I'm going to collect those this week and uh, we are going to um, be in touch with you. If you give us very clear printing on that with your name, your email address, and your phone number, we'll be in touch with you, or we'll, we'll have the ministry leader be directly in touch with you probably in this next week. So if any of these in areas are of interest to you, if you feel like the Lord's telling you to do that, you just fill it out, tear off the card, and we'll throw them in the giving boxes on your way out. So as you go through our double doors, the black boxes hanging on the wall, just stick your little card right in the slot, and we'll collect them. Now, I also want to mention that uh, if you're not ready to do that today, for one, there's really no time like the present, so take it seriously. But also, we have uh, a new feature on our website underneath the Moving to 750 pull-down that says Serve, and you can fill out these things on our website and contact us that way as well. So hope you're taking this seriously. I hope that it's uh, something that you're seeing an avenue of participation for you for because uh, not only do we need the help, but you need to be involved as well. It is a benefit to your own faith and your own building to be with uh, other people of like mind and serving together. Capiche? All right, let's stand. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much, Father, for... Uh, the way that you make things practical to us, Lord. Um, the high calling of Romans 12.1 is not something that um, only deserves the quick treatment we gave it this morning. And so, Father, I do pray that you'd help us to let that marinate our hearts a little bit in our minds this week as we think about what we are intentionally laying down for you, counting the cost ahead of time and acting in obedience anyway. So, Lord, move through your people in such a way that uh, the culture of our church will continue to um, expand on this life that we are finding and this friendship that we are building and that the greater things that need to be done in this city will be done by people of faith. So we thank you, Lord, for how much you love us and how you reach us. In Jesus' name, amen.